I think that Pan-Africanism is a mindset. It's a state of the mind um, where every African, regardless of where they are on the globe, know or have an idea who they are and what their place is. So for me, Pan-Africanism is seeing every black person as my brother and my sister. That way, the future is bright for us. That way, we know that the world awaits our manifestation. The reason why I think a lot of people don't talk about pan-africanism today is because they believe that the lived experiences of africans in the diaspora and the lived experiences of africans on the continent are quite different so there's this like friction in terms of the realities of africans at both uh, ends of the spectrum Yes, 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 yes. I love these comments about Pan-Africanism. Thank you to everyone who answered the call and shared their thoughts about Pan-Africanism. It means a lot to me and um, it was really great to hear what it means to you all. I'm so excited about the podcast episode today and I hope you are too. This is Shola Jai, the host of How to Transform an African Nation. Hello, hello. We are approaching the end of October, and I'm so happy to share some thoughts and insights about this topic, Pan-Africanism, with two amazing guest speakers, so you'll meet them shortly. But before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone about the shift in our posting days for these episodes. As I mentioned in previous episodes, um, we will no longer be posting our podcasts on the first Friday and the last Friday of the month. We are going to be posting them on the second Friday and the last Friday of the month. So please make a note of it. And before we kick things off here, I want to use this opportunity to highlight the graphic we are using for today's episode. Uh, this was created by an anonymous artist from Twitter. Um, if anyone knows this artist, please reach out to us at team at uriforafrica.com so that we can give them credit. Uh, the graphic says, we will never forget October 20th, 2020. On this day, the Nigerian army opened fire on innocent citizens while they were asleep at the Leki Toll Bridge in Lagos, Nigeria. These protesters, many of them youths, the future of Nigeria, were shot and killed at the Leki Toll Bridge for protesting against police brutality and against the government. The goal of bringing this up is to highlight the event that took place October 20th, 2020 in Lagos, Nigeria. It is a huge stain on our nation and the hope will be that we can somehow make it right. This episode will be a way to honor those that were injured, those lives that were lost, and those who were never accounted for. To date, we do not know who ordered that the protesters be barricaded in and shot at so that they could not flee. Please keep them and their families in your thoughts and prayers today.
So in the last episode, we started to explore this concept of Pan-Africanism. What is it? What should we, why should we care about it? Could Pan-Africanism be a way to turn things around? So today we'll coin the episode's name, How Pan-Africanism Can Transform a Nation. Today you will meet Baba Tunde Fagbayingbo, a lecturer at the University of South Africa and author of book Transcending Member States. This book focuses on the present state of the African Union and the hopeful future if this African institution is able to build a strong dynamic body that could lead the charge to reconstruct and transform Africa. You will also meet the founder of African Unity Initiative. His name is T. Jamali. African Unity Initiative is a community and economic development nonprofit organization based in Atlanta, Georgia. The big focus of this organization is financial and generational wealth, collective travel, and action-based activities. Let's listen to what they have to say about Pan-Africanism, what they think our communities of people of African descent can do, and how we can use it, Pan-Africanism, to ensure our people are thriving no matter where they are. Um, what um, comes to mind when you hear um, Pan-Africanism? Like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you when you hear those those words or that word? So I've worked on issues of of regional integration in Africa. I'm very interested, very passionate about the topic of of closer integration in Africa because my book just came out. Um, I think I can shamelessly plug it here, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't plug it. You can, you can. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so so the book is, um, is called um, Transcending Member States, the P- political and legal dynamics of, uh, of uh, continental, building continental supranationalism in Africa. So the idea of the book, again, kind of looking at the African Union as well, how do we enhance the powers of the African Union uh, to to be able to take control and to be able to take charge of, of continental integration in Africa? And one of the key things I I looked at in the book is that we we must start we Africa needs some sort of a, a repurposed worldview, um, a worldview that begins with understanding itself, so that it is able to deal with the rest. And of course, creating a union that benefits uh, Africans, that we are able to travel freely across the continent, and we are able to interact more across the continent. We 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 understand that yes, of course, Pan-Africanism is good, is very important, but it also it has to be concrete, right? It needs to also you know uh, give us some sort of um, socio-economic benefit, right? So that's it's very, very important that we also understand that. Positivity comes to mind. Idealistic world of African people across the diaspora coming together to forge a bond not based on struggle, but based on common roots. I truly believe that Pan-Africanism has been in effect in the past, but I think one of the errors that we have made, 
our ancestors have made in the past is that a lot of the times the unification was momentary because we saw a common enemy. So we were fighting against something. We come together in the in the vein of a similar struggle. So that's how we identify it. But once we feel or the masses feel that we've done a lot of work in that specific movement to to eradicate that that struggle or we've made certain progresses against that struggle then a lot of the times it is felt that there's no longer a need for the unification to exist which is why i truly believe in not fighting against anything a fight for so if we're fighting for african people it's a fight that doesn't have to end it's a fight that's limitless but if we're fighting against something and we feel like we've defeat we've defeated the enemy then the alliance is over the the alliance dissolves and we want an alliance that doesn't dissolve that's what i believe that pan africanism should be and you know just the power of it is limitless yeah i mean look the reality is that we're talking about i, I was there was a debate on twitter was it last week or a couple of weeks ago about okay. how the head of um, the African Center for uh, Disease Control Africa CDC uh, he had been invited he was invited to a conference in Switzerland or somewhere in Europe I can't remember now okay uh, and it was a global conference i mean health global health conference and he was actually humiliated or, you know treated shabbily um, at the airport by 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 immigration Yeah and he posted something on Twitter and all of those things and there was this debate about you know the way he was treated and of course that um, you cannot also remove race from you know racism from the way he was treated yeah and things like that so some people yeah. are like no da, 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 da. and so someone else has said no even within the continent there's still many african countries who still prioritize um, europeans Mm-hmm. and european passport nigeria's african passport mm-hmm. yeah i mean i mean even traveling i mean this this is the most closed continent in the world mm-hmm. it's the most closed continent in the world meaning the continent with the highest use of visas for travel so of all the continents in the world we are about um, almost 60% maybe 50 something percent african every african needs about uh, needs a visa to go to about 50 almost 60% uh, countries in Africa. So out of the 55 African countries you need a visa to to go to at least almost 60% of it. So no <laughs> so that's one out of uh, you know one out of four, right? Mm-hmm. But so so the question is why exactly are we not why don't we why are we failing to see the link between free movement of person and you know and pan africanism and yeah. uh, you know fulfilling the dreams of pan africanism yeah we're failing to see that so so it's not it's easy to 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 shout and blame people in the global north for treating right. africans shabbily but the things we also do to ourselves yes I mean at the end of the day that is like the strongest point right like we can continue to blame like the western powers and imperialism and all this stuff you know what I mean but 
at the mm -hmm. end of the day, what are we doing to ourselves? You know, and that's within the continent. Yeah. That's, you know, black and brown people everywhere. You know, True. what are we doing to ourselves? What are we doing for ourselves? You know, um, and that's that's the big question. That is the big overall question is that at the end yeah. of the day, we help perpetuate a lot of these issues that we're in. Of course. You know, we may not know we're doing it, but we are, <laughs> you know. We are, um, yeah, we are, we are. So there, there needs to be, you know, shifting, shifting mentalities, right? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So that people can actually, people can live and thrive in Africa. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm trying mm -hmm. to figure out ways for Black Americans that are being oppressed in America, uh, for them to be able to be like, oh, Africa, a country in Africa is an option for me. I don't have to stay in America. Do you know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. we don't even we don't even have the systems in place, <laughs> you know, yeah. for that yeah. that yeah. mass exodus. You know what I'm saying? Um, do we? I, you know, I, no, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, look, the the, the reason why you have thousands and thousands of Africans trying to just cross, you know, legally or illegally into, you know, through the Mediterranean. I mean, the Mediterranean swallows, <laughs> swallows yeah. many Africans, you know, every year. And um, it's quite tragic that we, 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 we see those things. And people just want to leave um, the continent. They, they vote with their feet, right? Um, of course. But again, there are many, there are more Africans moving within the continent than, you know, moving there. Uh, to, to, to the global north, to, to, to Europe or to, to North America. Um, but people are trying to leave, people are just trying to vote with their feet and just find a better life. And of course, politicians as well on the continent are also not making it easy for people to stay. You know, bad governance, bad leadership. last episode, I included a clip from O'Shea Duke Jackson's podcast focusing on a comment by filmmaker Tariq Nasheed. Let's listen to the reactions from our guests. Uh, yeah, I think this is a debate that has been going on for, for a very long time, right? And you would actually you you are in a better position to to analyze it right yeah. <laughs> but i mean i've been i've actually been I've, look i've read a lot about this and i've seen you know heard interviews and, and and things like that but for me i still i i think there's um uh, a, a whole lot needs to be gentizing people about it right mm -hmm. so for example, one of the key, one of the things um, the African Union is trying to do is to just, you know, see how, for example, African Americans can actually benefit and contribute. And you see many African countries are at least trying to open up. Um, Ghana, for example, with the yep. year of return and all of those things, just to, you know, conscientize people for us to, to understand that we're from the same, you know, we're from the same place. Um, we're the same people. There's no need to to fight over the things and and all of those things. And of course, there will be more Africans moving to the US, right? <laughs> because of the economic conditions and situations. So you have that kind of pressure, right? Moving yeah. first generation, second generation Africans, and and all of those things. So this debate will continue to go on. And um, but for me, I think, and there are more people. Look, we should also not. Um, on the play, the fact that there are people like you, for example, um, who are doing lots of work, 
around you know conscientizing people and also making people realize that um you know the sky is big enough uh, and that there's so much that we could do in terms of collaborating and cooperating and things like that yeah it's it's an interesting topic of discussion and it it really is something that was the genesis of my organization so African Unity Initiative came about because I started doing this program called the African Diaspora Dialogue. Started doing that program because when I was a freshman in college, I was at Howard University. He mentioned HBCUs, um, and there were a lot of African students who this was their first time in America. They had just come over on their student visa. Some had gone to school in America. Um, there were Caribbean students, of course, and there were African American students. And it took me a minute, but somewhere within my first semester, I realized that I was the only person that was hanging out with all of the different groups of Black people on campus. When I realized that, I started asking questions, and then I started hearing different reasons of why they did not want to communicate or commune with one another. And it was just a lot of these rehashed old myths that I remember hearing about in my childhood. The thing that I was surprised by was I was hearing it for the first time from the African perspective and from the Caribbean perspective. I know the lack of education about Africa and the Caribbean that we have here in the U.S. So I was already aware of our ignorance, our lack of access to information about what's happening on the other side. I didn't realize that it happened both ways. Their education in Africa is not well-rounded to teach them about us just as ours isn't designed to teach us about them or us about us. If you really break it down, we are the same. And the system understands that and they understand the power behind that. So they create these myths and they create this schism and divide so that we feel like there is some arbitrary division between the two or the three or however you want to split the diaspora. And so it was just very interesting. I was like, oh, this can be solved with just a conversation. And we just dialogue with one another and we broke down these myths that if you just hear the myth, doesn't even sound like it came from us. It sounds like a regurgitation of something that you heard from somewhere else about something else. It sounds like propaganda. One of the the things that comes up a lot in Nigeria is the fact that like, it's like uh, hard for people to think clearly because they're hungry, you know what I mean? Or there's no jobs, or they're thinking about how they're going to pay for rent, you know what I mean? Um, so those aspects, you know, the fact that, um, I mean, they just allowed students to go back to school, you know, like- yeah, I know, I know, I know, eight months. <laughs> you know, these <laughs> kids have been waiting for their lives to start. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so as far as like thinking about a way forward for a group of people that you've never seen, you know what I mean? Cause that, I mean, we're thinking about the globe, like the, the, the global diaspora, right? So Africans, people, mm-hmm. black people and black brown people living around the world. Right. Um, and basically the attitude's like, I can't think about you, <laughs> you know what I mean? 
I yeah, cannot take the time to cool. even think about you right now. This is what's happening in my life, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, like we're talking about shifting mentality. How do we do that? One, once we have the shift, what's the next step? <laughs> you know, um, mm. you know, those are but like- once we, have, once, once we have the shift, you see, once, once we have the shift in the mentality, then perhaps we're able to see things more clearly, mm. right? Yeah. Then once we're able to see things more clearly, then we're able to kind of find a way forward. Because the fog, there's a fog that um, prevents us the from seeing. The fog is exactly. deep. Exactly. <laughs> so maybe shifting in mentality removes the fog. Maybe. And once, once the fog is removed, then we can sit and say, okay, this is how we project. Because mm-hmm. we, And this is one thing I've always been advocating. The need for a repurposed African worldview. We need a we, look. Look, we, we need to be able to deal with others. I mean, in our dealing with others, it starts from dealing, you know, with us. You know, kind of understanding ourselves. Mm-hmm. Then we're able to do. look. The Chinese, the EU, America, they all they have a worldview. Look, you can force the worldview. You can sit down here and write articles about it and, you know, say whatever. But the thing is that they have a worldview. And they're operating on the basis of that worldview. Right? Yeah. European Union has its own worldview. It says, listen, the question we have not asked ourselves, or we, we think we're asking ourselves, but we're not really asking ourselves, is what, what exactly is our worldview? So you just go that's to the point. table and that's why we make all sorts of mistakes, right? Mm-hmm all sorts of mistakes because you do not have a a, a, a progressive and well-articulated worldview. That's why we cannot, you know, we don't have a common approach. So, so we keep going on about, oh, Africa must have a common approach, common approach to issues, right? Yeah, of course. It's all well and good. But the thing is that we are not doing it. If we collectively put our efforts into we could really make some seismic changes. It's just we have to wean ourselves off of all of the pacifying distractions that are intentionally put in our way to keep us, to keep our eyes off the ball. You don't need a title to be a leader. Right. You just have to do something, right? And I think that that's a big thing, right? At the end of the day. Exactly. Um, You have to be willing to actually be in the action to be an example, to do the work. And the work looks different for everybody. Exactly. There are people like, for example, strategizing, making sure that things make sense before we just react to things. Also, a lot of strategy is, are we responding to inciting incidents or are we inciting our incidents? This information that the speakers shared with us is so on point, especially their comments about leadership. Listen to what they had to say about what people can do and what actionable steps can be taken now. So I want to respond by saying that, first of all, I understand what he was saying, and I agree with the fact that it cannot be sustained by individuals. There are going to have to be 
strong institutions that support the message in order for it to be sustainable. When we talk about successful movements in the past, it was always backed by institutions, whether it was the NAACP or SNCC or the UNIA, which was Marcus Garvey's organization. It was always some type of institutional organizational effort that the individual was a part of because you saw a bigger picture. And then you could spread the message of the organization and the organization could raise funds, could offer resources, could make sure that what the individuals in certain communities wanted to do had access to actually bring those things to life, the ideas to reality. And what they did was it gives the individual a little bit more courage to be a part of something that's bigger than them, to know that they are not alone. So you have the encouragement factor. Um, I do believe that the African Union is something that we should want to support. It's the fact that are people aware of it? First time I even heard that the African Union existed was in 2008. And Muammar Gaddafi was the chairperson. And the first thing I remember was he, at the time, was talking about having one unified African currency. And really speaking about empowering the the African diaspora as being an active part of the African Union. We need it to be more powerful. We need it to have a little bit more sway and influence. Um, and I just think <laughs> when people know that it exists, we can, as the people, empower that organization to be a little bit more standard. I think a lot of the times the African leaders that are running the African Union are a bit too conservative for my liking, where they seem like they will go along and allow European thought to encourage how they move and how they act. It happens in African countries and the governments themselves and it really is because we don't really have any type of collective communication on a consistent sense. Uh, yes, yes, um, I, I, I agree with you um, on that point. <laughs> Not maybe, I mean, one of the major problems we have is the fact that member states don't um, comply with the rulings or with the, with the decisions of the African Union. And that is because the organization is very weak. So that's why they don't see any value in, in um, kind of following through or, uh, or complying with institutions. So if you have these strong institutions, then you realize that things can, we don't need to always revolve around leaders um, or person, personalities in terms of uh, uh, building uh, uh, regional integration. And we also need an organic process. So we, you see, bottom-up regionalism, very key. 
and these are some of the things that we feel society um groups you know it was very inclusive so you have women you have young people doing all the work i really believe that it's going to have to come from the grassroots and the people and us raising the thing because we don't know who is propping up some of these de jure leaders de jure meaning they actually have a title who is backing them how did they get into that position are they really for the advancement of everyday people so in order for certain things to move we need the people on the ground that are being impacted by the negativity or whatever the case may be to be to be a voice to have an actual voice of influence i don't know of any successful movement revolution that was started that was top to bottom it was always people on the ground and they collectively come together to influence the people at the top from what um, Angela Yavola calls uh, man-Africanism. She says what we've been dealing with is man-Africanism, not pan-Africanism, because it is it is the kind of pan-Africanism that is very patriarchal, that only looks at the interests of men, that protects male leaders and things like that. So she calls it man-Africanism. So we need to also move away from that to a more inclusive uh, 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 pan-Africanism from, from, from man-Africanism to a truly uh, a, 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 a truly inclusive uh, pan-Africanism. So young people, women, marginalized, vulnerable groups in the society to also be able to contribute. things that stuck out to me in this conversation and the other one was the education factor. It's really interesting too because, you know, this conversation around the West and how the West has basically taught um, Black Americans to look at Africa a certain way and, Af and the West has taught Africans how to look at Black Americans a certain way, you know what I mean? And that's, I guess, across the board too. We talk about people of African descent in various locations, whether it be Canada, South America, the Caribbean, you know what I mean? They all, everyone has different perceptions of each other. You know what I mean? And that's from teaching, you know, that's either from teaching in school or teaching via media, you know what I'm saying? So it's just really, really interesting that it keeps coming back to that. It's, um, look, those are, those are issues that we can, we can easily solve. We can easily kind of address if we have and if we have um, serious leadership also uh, on, on on both sides um, and moving these things be, be you know moving it beyond the elitist um, kind of the elitist arena right yes. where only elite elite you know the the african president or you know politicians right. and you know across you know on both sides are the only ones meeting and we're not creating enough room for people to have serious dialogue and serious engagement um, uh, with yeah. that, perhaps, yeah. So, so for me, I mean, look, I think we there's so much to to to, to do, and of course, I I'll go back to saying one of the things you're doing as well with this podcast and with many of your activities, 
um, are, are steps in the right direction, uh, and and we will get there. We'll yeah. Get is the end of our episode. Thank you so much, Baba Tunde and Jamal, for joining us for this topic and sharing your knowledge and experience with us. If I summarize some of the big takeaways for me from this episode, especially when we think about unity and striving and growing collectively, I think there are four points to highlight. One, we need to talk to each other. We need to talk to each other and we need to collaborate. We are not connecting enough. This is both on an individual level and an organizational level. So join an organization, uh, follow a podcast or a YouTube channel, join a Facebook group where people of African descent are at the center. Um, I'll also try and share some links to organizations for you to check out so you have options. <laughs> A number two highlight, travel. Traveling to countries from the African regions defined by the African Union. They are labeled as North Africa, South Africa, East Africa, West Africa, Central Africa, and then there's a sixth region that's called the diaspora. So this region is not clearly defined by countries, but the African Union does say that this region is where people of African descent live outside of Africa um, and who are interested and invested in the development of Africa and the African Union. So this could be countries like Haiti, this can be countries in the Caribbean islands, this could be Brazil or Colombia or Jamaica or Barbados. Um, it could be Venezuela and Mexico. It could be the Dominican Republic. So check out those visa requirements and travel only if you can. There's plenty of places to travel to. Uh, we have Ghana, we have Cameroon, we have Niger. Um, we have options. Let's check them out. Number three. The third highlight is finding media outlets and community-based publications that are pan-African in their mission and vision and content. Let's get on the same page about what's happening in Africa and to Black people or people of African descent everywhere. There are some really great publications that we shared on our podcast page. Definitely check it out. And last but not least, the number four highlight was inclusivity. Not only across the diaspora in the US, Canada, you know, uh, South America, Europe, and Asia, but also giving a space to women to be heard as well when it comes to action. Let's end the man Africanism, you know, that Baba Tunde brought up, highlighted so well. Let's end the man Africanism and give women of African descent a space to be heard and to lead. And that's it. Those are some of the key things I took away from today's episode. I'd be interested in hearing what you took away. How are you doing? How are you feeling about all this information that you receive? I hope ideas are marinating and generating for you. I hope you are inspired. I hope that you are feeling like you have to or you can do something. Um, but there's always this question, right? What can I do? There's always a question of what? And that is what we're going to start to explore in the next set of episodes. 
don't hesitate to tell us what your takeaway was from today's episode. If you have some thoughts that you want to share, please let us know by emailing us at team at urforafrica.com or message us on WhatsApp at plus 234-811-570-5244. Have a wonderful weekend and looking forward to transforming our communities together. I am Shola Ajayi and this is How to Transform an African Nation. Thanks for listening and catch you in a few weeks. Bye.